zeal or sincerity in any area of life isn't enough. In fact, somebody says, well, I don't know much, but I'm just going to trust it. Uh, and after all, I'm sincere. No, you better get to know. You better find out what the issue is. And you don't have to guess. God has given us a book. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Paul knew a lot about misguided zeal. He said, I was more zealous than all my countrymen, and I was busy persecuting the church. He had been there. He knew what misguided zeal can do. So he said, I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. Very dangerous combination. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Misdirected Zeal. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Turn to Romans chapter 10. 10th chapter of Romans. I was thinking of uh, my first real exposure to Romans the other day, and I was just thinking of how much the book impacted my life and how it still continues to impact my life and how many times I've seen others come to really grasp what we're all about and what life is all about and who God really is and what He has done for us in Christ when they look carefully at this book of Romans. And I hope you have, and I hope you will. And uh, let me just encourage you right now, listen carefully, because you know every, every paragraph in this book, it seems, uh, is crucial. I mean, it, it's getting right at issues that we need to hear today. So I want to start back at verse uh, 30 of chapter 9. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, didn't arrive at that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written. And behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. I don't know if you can find a clearer statement of Israel's situation today and in Paul's day throughout this whole era than what we just read. Now, Paul, you remember, he, he has explained the systematic beauty of the gospel for eight chapters. And then he thinks of Israel, his kinsman according to the flesh. He himself was in his, a Jew's Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, a Pharisee. And God had saved him out of that unbelief that he was in. But he looked at the mass of the nation and he saw most of them still in unbelief and he's burdened as he thinks about it, but he's also explaining it because I'm sure he has spent by now many a day, many an evening explaining to Jewish skepticism how it is that this gospel can be true and yet the nation has missed it. And so he is still laboring. And really these three chapters are showing Israel's place in all this and uh, what happened with Israel. And he's saying here, 
Uh, and we've seen God's sovereignty in salvation in chapter 9. And Paul says, listen, God never uh, didn't say that he was going to save every single descendant of Abraham according to the flesh, and he showed God's sovereign purposes in salvation, and we've joyed in that as we've looked at it. We've uh, rejoiced in it, and and yet don't misapply it. And as he came to the end of the chapter, the Christian should praise God for his sovereignty. But the non-Christian will never be able to successfully blame God for his lost condition. If anybody's saved, it's because God does the saving. If it's any, if anybody's lost, it's because they're sinful and disobedient and unbelieving. And so when he gets to the final answer, kind of, and he's moving, I mean, he's, he's, we're not done. This, and these three chapter headings, you, you want to think of 9, 10, and 11 in one big sweep in one way. But as he gets here to close of chapter 9, what should we say then as he thinks about God's sovereign grace? That Israel somehow missed the boat because of non-election? No way! Israel is lost today, the mass of Israel, because of unbelief. And he explains it. And let me just uh, walk you through it because it's so, it sets the context for what we want to see in the early verses of chapter 10. Gentiles, verse 30, who weren't even looking for Messiah, found him. They were finding Christ as Paul and Peter and all the other early Christians were proclaiming Christ. By and large, it was Gentiles who were believing. Israel, on the other hand, verse 31, pursuing a law of righteousness which so often characterizes religionists. Even God-given religion, I think we could say that, uh, Judaism as such was God-given uh, in the sense that God gave this great revelation to Israel, and they, He gave them the temple and the laws and the services and all the things He enumerated at the start of chapter 9, but it so often goes to seed in the sinful human heart. And so they were pursuing a law of righteousness, and hence they didn't arrive. They didn't arrive at that law. Why? Verse 32, because they were pursuing it uh, as though it were by works, not by faith. And they stumbled over the main issue, Jesus Christ. In the same situation today, many people uh, have a religiosity about them. And I'm speaking now within Christianity, within Christendom, in Christian churches where Jesus Christ is named, where the Bible is used, where there's a certain semblance of Christianity. There's broad, broad sections of Christendom that are busy missing the point, and a stumbling over the stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, you know, he's talking here in generalities. It's most of Israel that's in unbelief, and it's most of the church that is Gentiles. He's not saying all Israel or all Gentiles or anything like that by any means. And, of course, most Gentiles today, what? Reject Christ, as do most Jews and so um, don't misunderstand him here as he speaks, but, but let me underline that Jesus Christ is still the issue. As he said in Corinthians, he said, listen, to the Jews, he's a stumbling block, to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And I'll tell you today, there's basically, if you kind of just think this way, there's two kinds of people 
There's your religionists and your secularists. You know, I mean, you talk to people about God and, and they'll often bring up either the fact that they're quite religious in their own way, you know, and they'll tell you about their religion one way or another, or they'll bring up the fact that they're, I'm not religious. I'm, I'm kind of scientific, quite frankly, and I, you know, and they'll claim their secular religion, basically. But of both kinds, the religionist stumbles over Christ. He doesn't want to hear that he's a sinner and he needs a savior. He stumbles. It's a stumbling block to the religionist. And to the secularist, <laughs> kind of foolishness, you know. If, you, if, you, if that helps you, I, I, it helps quite a few people, they say, with disdain often. But, and you think of your background, you are from one or the other. To those who are the called, both religionists and secularists, Jews and Greeks, to those who are the called, Christ, when you hear of Christ, He's the power of God and the wisdom of God, and you flee to Him and He becomes your righteousness. And that's what Paul is explaining here. Now, the real issue is Christ. And you know, uh, I'll, uh, you can divide it up a different way, really, because the issue isn't whether you're religious or irreligious or secular in your background. When you get right down to it, the cross is the great divider of mankind, and we're going to talk about the cross all day because that's so central to what it's all about. But the cross is the divider of mankind, and it divides men into two camps in another way. Those who think they'll approach God through human achievement... And those who know God can only be approached through divine accomplishment. There's really only two approaches. All the religions, all the philosophies assume that you can come to God through some sort of achievement. Works. The Bible clearly reveals you can come to God only because He has accomplished it. It is finished. Jesus Christ is the issue. Now watch Paul unfold this. Verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, Israel's unbelief pained Paul. Look at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And we've talked about it because Paul will not... Let us forget this. He's saying some hard things in these chapters. And he's saying some hard things about unbelief in Israel and the Israelites' rejection of God. But he, every chapter, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, he begins expressing his tender concern, his heart, his love. And in this, he's following our Lord Jesus Christ who said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you, but you would not. Paul, the apostle, has God's heart on this issue, and he says, my desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And uh, notice how he, he begins, I bear them witness, verse 2. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance 
with knowledge. He speaks with compassion here. Now, theologically, and we're gonna, and that's what he's really getting at. And we're gonna look at it, you know, from the, the factual side of it. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And that's a very ominous thing to say. So theologically, on the one sense, or, or formally, could I say, he's saying something strong here. But notice how he says it. I mean, think of it in a practical way. I bear them witness they have a zeal for God. Uh, look over at Acts 17, because we can learn something from this. This is Paul approaching the Jews, you know. Even as he writes about them, he, he speaks this way. It was his habit. And, you know, I believe I say some strong things from this pulpit, but I would hope that if you're here on the receiving end, I hope that you can hear them. And I hope that I say them in a winsome way. I don't know if I do or not. I mean, you be the judge of that. But I'll tell you what, we should strive to. It, particularly in our private conversation with people. Or when we have an opportunity to address a group in an evangelistic setting. I always look forward to it when I'm asked to speak to a, to a, a, a group of people who need to hear the gospel, and, and I work and I try to communicate it in a way they can hear it. And Paul's a pattern in this, says the Lord, uh, most of the speakers of the New Testament, you might say, you know, the sermons. But, but watch Paul in another setting, a secular setting or a heathen setting, a Gentile setting, Acts 17, he's at Athens, and when he was telling them about Jesus and the resurrection, you remember, they said, this is kind of interesting, he's got some things to say, why don't you speak to us? Because they used to just trade philosophies, you know, it's like, a lot like a lot of universities today, and just anything goes, so let's hear from this guy. When he stood up, verse 22, in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. He said something that they could hear. Now, we know what he was thinking about it, and he goes on and tells them what he was thinking about it. But he starts in such a way that they might have a chance of hearing him. You know, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. And most people hearing that then or now would say, Well, well thank you very much. <laughs> I'm very religious in all respects. It's good. Yeah. And he says, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. You not only had the God to the sea and to the mountains and to the stars and the moon and the God of fertility and the God of this and that, but in case you forgot one, you have one to the unknown God. You're very religious. And a lot of people kind of think in a religious pluralism, you know, I'm not going to deny any God. Who knows which one's right? Your God is fine. My God's fine. And they still think that way. But he said, you know, I noticed that. But then he gets to the point, what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And then the balance of what he has to say is to tell them about the God they don't know, the unknown God to them, but who is very knowable. And he says, you know, what you worship in ignorance, I want to proclaim to you. And he gets to his point. Now, there's a very close parallel to what he says over here in Romans. Notice, look back. He says, I bear them witness. They have a You're very religious, you know. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And when the Jews uh, sense this parallel, of course, it really... The unbeliever really doesn't like this. And, of course, in Athens, they didn't like it. And in Jerusalem, they didn't like it. But I say that because I think it's interesting to watch how Paul starts. But he says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. You see, the question isn't whether you have a zeal for God. 
A lot of people have a zeal for God. The question isn't whether you have religious zeal. A lot of people have religious zeal. You can easily have misguided zeal. Easily. Today, I don't ask you if you have a zeal for God. I ask you, is your zeal for God in accordance with His revelation of Himself? Is it in accordance with knowledge? Uh, maybe you've seen those commercials. They crack me up. The, the gal sitting on the plane, and she's on the phone with her broker, and she's got to make a decision because she's got all this money, what to do with it, and, you know, move it out of this. Well, go ahead. Well, I don't know where to put it. And the guy hands her a little piece of paper, and the guy next to her, you know, and it's got a little note on it, and uh, it's, you know, and, and she takes it, and he's just the picture of wealth sitting next to her. So she says, uh, put it in H-P-M-O-Y. And she gives the ticker tape symbol, you know, and, the, and yeah, yeah, all of it. And then she hangs up, and she says, hey, th- thanks. Thanks for the tip. And he says, what do you mean the tip? And she turned the paper upside down and said, howdy. And... <laughs> She goes, and you can just see her go, oh, no. And then they say, you know, the commercial says, know your source. <laughs> and there's a couple others, and uh, I say, oh, and they, they, so true. Know your source. If that's true with your money and the market, you don't just take the first note that's handed. Well, he's got a nice suit on. Yeah, put it all there. That'd be good. No, know your source. If that's true with your money, if that's true with every, you think about it. Zeal or sincerity in any area of life isn't enough. In fact, somebody says, well, I don't know much, but I'm just going to trust it. And after all, I'm sincere. No, you better get to know if it has to do with your physical health. You don't just say, I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but he seems like a nice guy. No, don't just haphazardly. But if that's true in other realms, what about the ultimate realm of God? Are you just going to say, well, I'm sincere? I have a certain zeal. I mean, I, you better find out what the issue is. And you don't have to guess. God has given us a book. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Paul knew a lot about misguided zeal. He said, I was more zealous than all my countrymen. And I was busy persecuting the church. He had been there. He knew what misguided zeal can do. So he said, I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. Very dangerous combination. You see, the great need today is knowledge. Real knowledge of God. Who He really is. What He's really like Israel's a picture of so many today who have just kind of a vague concept. There must be someone. I, this didn't all just happen. And we oftentimes take that as a great stride forward. Well, it's a step. I guess it's better than saying, I don't believe there's anything except just this big explosion that started on the size of a pinhead or whatever. You know, there, I suppose that's a step in the right direction, but it's not enough to just say, I believe there's a man upstairs of some sort. No, or a cosmic designer. No, you can know Him. And zeal without knowledge of Him is misguided, futile zeal. It's worthless. The great need is real knowledge of God. And he says, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You see, to really know 
God is to really know the God of righteousness because that's the only God there is. The God of righteousness, not knowing about God's righteousness. Real knowledge of God is knowledge of the God of righteousness. That's who He is. Now, we don't know much about righteousness today. We, uh, we don't really know much about it. I, I think of Paul Williams, our translator down in uh, Costa Rica, and he says it's hard sometimes to translate a concept they have no word for because there's no concept. You're in a tropical place, and you come to the word snow, and you think, how would I translate this? They've never seen snow in certain places in the world. How will I communicate that? Well, in one sense, that's the way I feel in our generation today. You talk about righteousness, and there's been very little knowledge of it today. We've put that knowledge aside. And so we talk about a righteous God. We say, oh, let's emphasize other things that we make a little more sense to us. You know? But I'll tell you something. We need to know the righteousness of God. Listen carefully, because this is the theme of Romans. I mean, take a, just look back at chapter 1. It's so important to see this. Look at chapter 1, verse 17, when he says, I'm going to tell you the good news from God, the good news of God, that I'm going to write about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. For in it, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Then he spends three chapters explaining our unrighteousness. And look over at chapter 3, verse 21. He says, Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Verse 25 when he tells about the cross of Christ, he says this was to demonstrate his righteousness. That in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness, he repeats it, at the present time, that he might be just, righteous, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, this term throughout Romans... There's uh, two implications. God is righteous, and righteousness is provided by God. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Misdirected Zeal, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called, A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org 
or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Paul had gone through this. He had had plenty of zeal that was completely misguided. He'd been very zealous for God and very lost. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. If He didn't have any... I don't think you do. And he said, I don't have that. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what he had found. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Misdirected Zeal. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.